Three, two, one, we're rolling. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Key to the City podcast. I am your host, Keone G, or Yoni to most of you. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for supporting the podcast. Everybody's been liking, sharing, commenting, whatever you've been doing to show your support. We surely appreciate it. And uh, we're still going to continue to provide you with quality content, quality guests. And today is no different. I'm ecstatic today. I'm honored for the guests that we have today. I told you we was going to be talking more about election season as it's right around the corner. And it's probably the most important time to vote of our lifetime. And uh, I have a gentleman, I have history in the building, who's a part of that election this year for the state. He is the first African-American congressman from the state of Mississippi since the Reconstruction era. Wow. Uh, the former secretary of the U.S. Department of Agriculture, which was also the first black person to hold that position. Wow. That's history right there. He received almost 47% of the vote for the U.S. Senate in the 2018 special election. So we just fell a little bit short. Now he's running again in 2020 against Cindy Hyde-Smith. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Ken folks, without further ado, please welcome to the city, the legend, Mike Espy. How you doing, sir? I'm well, well. Thank you so much, Kiani, and thank you for uh, allowing me to be on your podcast, Key to the City. Yes, sir. So, we appreciate it. You deserve the key to the city. Key to this election. Yes, sir. That's right. right. That's right. And uh, I want to give you the proverbial key to the city because you definitely deserve it. Uh, you are a legend, and we want to give you your flowers while we have that opportunity. So uh, let's just jump right into it. Look, when, when, when you call people legends, that means they usually have gray hair, okay? Okay. And, and what am I looking at? There it is. <laughs> Living legend in the flesh. <laughs> so uh, let's just jump right into it, uh, Mr. Espy, now. As I stated earlier, you received 47% of the vote in 2018. Um, how's your 2020 campaign going to differ from 2018 so we can bring this thing on home? Okay. Uh, uh, almost two years ago, the former Senator Thad Cochran fell ill. Mm -hmm. And I was in my office at my desktop computer, and it came across the screen that Thad Cochran had resigned. Right. I was okay. And that was March 2018. Right. So I said, oh, Lord, you know, you know, I think uh, I've, uh, I've always wanted to be a senator because it's not what you want to be, it's what you want to do. Yes, sir. And I thought I want to do a lot of good things for Mississippi that uh, no one else had ever done in the Senate. Yes, so this was the opportunity. So without staff, without money, without a message, without support of any party, really, I'm a Democrat, but, you know, uh, I jumped in, right. called my wife, and she blessed it. So within that same month, I announced, and wow. we started. It was only six months from that wow. day to election day, and we got 47% of the vote. Now, I'm no map genius, but I know that 47 and 3 is 50, plus 1 is a victory. <laughs> yes, sir. Right. So, uh, so uh, that's why we're running again. Uh, I know that we can win. Mm -hmm. I know that there are enough votes, black and white, in Mississippi who want a new leader. They want a new vision. They want somebody that can help propel Mississippi past all of these problems that we have, health care and housing and criminal justice and education. education. Yeah. And pick us up from the bottom. So, you know, that's why I'm running. So 
here's three things I'm going to do differently 2020 than 2018. Because you always have to learn from your mistake. Yes, sir. The biggest mistake last time is really was not of my choosing. We did not have the time for victory. We just didn't have the time, but now we do. And I've not, I haven't quit. So here's three things. One is uh, there are a lot of young people who didn't know what I had done in Mississippi. Mm -hmm. They didn't know I was the first black congressman. And I won that seat when I was 30. I started when I was 29. I was a cabinet secretary when I was 39. And now I'm the chairman of the board of a $400 million nonprofit, which provides money for low-income housing, first-time homeowners. We put medical clinics and we build medical facilities in the areas that are medically underserved. We go in the areas without grocery stores and we build, uh, you know, food and vegetable opportunities, you know. Yes, sir. And, uh, and we give people loans to start their businesses and fulfill their dreams. I'm doing that now. And so we didn't have time in the last election to really get that message out. So the first thing is to tell the young folks that even though I have gray hair, I've walked the walk. Yes, sir. And uh, I told, tell them stories now. I could get my stories out about my grandfather was, uh, he came of age in the 1910s. When there was no federal support about at all. When they were lynching black folks and killing us left and right. And so he started an organization called Afro-American Sons and Daughters, which was all about self-determination. We have to do it for ourselves. So he started a little bank where you've heard of sharecroppers, you know. Yes, sir. Okay, the sharecroppers were mostly black. And when the crop came in, they have to share the crop with the plantation master. And my grandfather said, okay, you're cheating the sharecroppers. So his his foundation gave loans to black farmers to buy their own seed, buy their own fertilizer, and you know, paid the bank back, not the high interest rate from the from the plantation owner. Right. And he started an insurance company. It's almost like working the top. When you went to work and you hurt your arm or hurt your leg, there were no insurance companies back 1920. For black people. So he would actually, if you pay 50 cents a month, your injuries uh, would be covered, almost like insurance comes today. Yes, sir. And then he said, I'm tired of our women having our babies in the cotton field. Mm-hmm. So he built a hospital, 36 beds, where I was born in the hospital my grandfather built. Wow. I was born in 1953 that a hospital was built in 1924 and it served black communities until 1970 for 50 years. Wow. So those are the stories I tell. So it's all about a legacy. So I stood on, I stood on his shoulders. And when I get to the Senate and able to do some things about all the problems I mentioned to you, people can hopefully, I can be the bridge that others can come across. So uh, the things I'm gonna do different is, would be threefold. One is number one, to not take young people for granted. Tell them my story. And number three, build the biggest, widest, deepest organization 
to gun out the boat that Mississippi has ever seen. And we're doing that today. Awesome. And when you're talking about uh, not taking young people for granted. Yes. um, I know that a lot of my peers, uh, you know, they seem like they're giving up on the voting process. They don't trust in the system anymore. They don't think their votes matter. But I try to tell them otherwise. But, you know, I'm not a political scholar such as yourself. But do you still believe that voting is the most effective way to create change here in America? And how do we get that across to my demographic? It's the most effective way because it's the quickest way. Mm-hmm. Because when you replace somebody, let's just say like Simeon Smith, the person I'm running against. Right. So uh, she went to the uh, Jefferson Davis Museum down in uh, Gulfport mm-hmm. in 2014. Mm-hmm. And she tried on the rebel cap. She tried on the rebel like uniform. And she held up the little rebel rifle. And then when you have to make comments on your way out the door, she said that this was the best of Mississippi's history. Mm. That was 2014, right. not 1914 or 1814. So who do you think would respond better mm-hmm. to the issues and concerns of young black folks? Who do you think they could come to if they want more jobs, or if they want prescription drugs to cost less, or if they want their student debt to be lessened, or if they want a quicker path to go to college. Let's say they live in a neighborhood with potholes. Mm-hmm. Who do you think they would go to Sydney Smith or Mike Espy, who would help the mayors and the supervisors of these counties have money in their budgets to fill the potholes? In the black neighborhoods, who do you think would improve the housing stocks? And who do you think would help their children to live a better life? Me or her? So, so uh, I, I'm, I'm saying it's me. Right. So, so uh, the, it's the most effective way because it's the quickest way. Because you can get somebody out like that and put mm-hmm. somebody in like that who knows you, who will be accessible, who will be available. Who already understands, you know, what they're going through. You don't have to explain as much. And that would be the best way to do it. So, yes. And here in Mississippi, we have more black voters per capita than any state in the nation. Right. right. Most people don't know that. So all we have to do is tell the young folks listening to Key to the City the impact of voting on their lives. And what it could be. I have to, my job is to connect the opportunities we're going to have in the U.S. Senate with directly improving their life here in Jackson and here in Mississippi. So that's my job. But they have to listen. They yes, can't turn away. Uh, you, you know, I mean, when my grandfather lived, we had uh, two black senators uh, way back then. Two black senators because Mississippi had Mississippi's population was dominantly African American back then and the, after the Civil War, after Reconstruction, and until like 1940, everybody left, started going to Chicago and Detroit and Milwaukee. Black people were more uh, 
had more population than anybody else. And we had two black senators way back then. But we had a new constitution, the 1890 constitution, which called for the, the, the minimization of the black vote and the improvement of Jim Crow. Mm -hmm. And right away, those two black senators were gone. So, so election or who you put in office in voting for the people who not just look like you, but who will vote your interest. That's the quickest way for folks your age to escalate in Mississippi. Let's say healthcare, all right? There are a lot of folks in Mississippi that don't have medical insurance. Mm -hmm. So they're afraid to go to the doctor. They say, oh, Jesus, I pray that I don't get sick because right. I cannot pay that medical bill. And so when they have a hint of any injury coming on, if they feel different one day than they did the day before, they are not as inclined to go to the doctor just for a checkup or to get a primary screening because they know they cannot pay the bill. Mm -hmm. So the main issue in my campaign is to improve medical insurance. Okay. Some people call it Medicaid expansion. I don't care what you call it. Some people call it Obamacare, whatever you call it. The result is to improve medical insurance for the low-income people of Mississippi. It's 90% paid for by the federal government, 90%. And when I go to the Senate, the first thing I want to do is waive another 10%. So it'll be 100% paid for by the federal government. So if you have an elbow injury or knee injury or you want to know how not to be, be so obese or you want nutrition information, or you might have the onset of diabetes. All you got to do is go to the doctor and that bill will be paid for by the federal government through the Medicaid program. And 211,000 people, the day after it's done, we have medical insurance. Well, that's why who you vote for is so important because Cindy Hyde-Smith is part of a group that filed a lawsuit to repeal Medicaid expansion. She wants to take away Obamacare. She wants to take away those with pre-existing injuries. You know, you know. Right now, if you have a uh, like a chronic illness and you get insurance, the insurance company can say, "Okay, we're going to cover you for all of your other injuries from today to the future, but we're not going to cover the injuries from today to the past." Right. That's pre-existing. I believe in making the insurance companies, the day you get the insurance, they got to cover you whatever it's starting, whatever time it's starting, the mm -hmm. past, the present, or the future. That's what I believe in. And that's part of Obamacare. She doesn't believe that. So who do you think should go to the Senate, me or her? And so the only way to switch that, to put me in and her out, is votes. That's right. We took that's down the flag. We got to take her down now. That's right. To that museum that she likes so much. Yes, sir. And I'm glad you hit on that. Uh, mainly speaking on what's going to be your first priority business uh, yeah. with the health care. Speaking of health care and all the uproar that COVID-19 has caused and all the uncertainty, how do you think that's going to impact voter turnout this election season? Well, I am concerned. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, black folks like to go to the polls personally. Okay, right. I know that. Right. I know I do. I want to see 
Yeah. My ballot go in the box. Yes, I want to. I want to feel in a tactile way. I want to feel my finger hit that digital slot. You right. know, it's something about uh, your mental intent mm-hmm. coming through your fingers and hitting that slot. Absolutely. It's going to fulfill the legacy of Fatty Lou Hamer and Mega Evers. You know, right? right. So, so I, I, I understand. So I am concerned because now we have the COVID pandemic. So I'm going to tell you, like uh, Michelle Obama said the other night at the Democratic Convention, mm-hmm. you have to make a plan to go vote. Everybody has to make a plan, and you have to vote early. Here in Mississippi, we do have some challenges because we're not like a lot of other states where we have uh, early, early voting, you know. Uh, in Mississippi, we have early voting, but it's only for people who are age 65 or are disabled. You can actually go and physically vote early after September 21st. So we're telling all the folks in that sector to go early, all right? But uh, we also have uh, Mississippi absentee voting. So, uh, you know, if you are, if you know you're gonna be on vacation, are not available to to vote directly, or you have COVID symptoms, you have to vote by absentee ballot. And so we encourage everybody you know, those absentee ballots can be voted early, okay? You can go in there and vote absentee ballot early, okay? So yes, I'm going to do like Michelle Obama, tell everybody to get a plan to vote and vote early. And then on election day, bring your mask and bring your gloves if you want gloves. Put on your flat shoes because you might have to wait. But please, sir, please, ma'am, go vote and vote early. That's right. No excuses this season. We can't have it this season. No excuses. Absolutely. Key to the City podcast. We have Mike Espy with us. Uh, just a few more questions, Mr. Espy. I know you're busy, man. Uh, I just want to hit on two topics. You mentioned earlier about the uh, proposed changes to the flags, which you've always been an advocate for. Yes. How do you feel about how far it's come thus far? I think it's great. I was in the Senate uh, to hear the debate when they were discussing the taking down the flag and I was there for the vote and I got goose pimples. I got, I'm sorry, goose pimples, goose bumps. I got goose bumps, man. Cause I remembered uh, Aaron Henry who is dead now, but uh, he was head of the NAACP and a state legislator when all of this started. I thought about him and I thought about Fannie Lou Hamer. I thought, I thought about Mega Ever who was shot in the back, you know, just like Mr. Blake. Mm-hmm. You know, day before yesterday, shot in the back mm-hmm. while he was getting out of his car to go in his house. And a Klux Klansman was laying in wait across the street and shot him and killed him. So all of those efforts of all of those civil rights pioneers to take down that symbol happened with a vote. Okay? So I'm really happy about it. I don't care which design they choose. As long as we don't get that Confederate banner back. Right. So the one with the shield or one with the magnolia, I don't care. That's right. Uh, we've 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 done ninety percent of it as far as I'm concerned. That's and, right. Uh, we'll vote for one of them and that's be the one that I'll salute. I never could salute the other one. That's right. There it is. 
And uh, I guess my last question for you, I'm glad you uh, mentioned Mr. Blake and the Mr. Blake shooter. It just seems like it's occurring more often than not. Um, how can we improve relations between law enforcement and citizens in general, but more specifically the African-American community? Let me tell you a story, if you don't mind. Yes, sir. Um. I've got two sons, and so this story is about one of them. I've got a son who played at Madison Central. He went to Ole Miss. He was a standout wide receiver for Eli Manning. Mm-hmm. He was drafted to the Washington Redskins, now the Washington Football Club, I guess they call it. Yes, sir. And he got hurt after three years. He was playing against the Pittsburgh Steelers. I was in the stadium. He went out for a pass. And even though he had never been hurt before, he was extremely fast. And uh, he was going down the sideline like, you know, and the quarterback threw him a pass. There was nobody within 20 yards of him. And I told my wife, Mike's will make a touchdown, his first NFL touchdown. And when that ball hit his finger, his left knee crumpled. Mm. He, the knee just, just like exploded. Mm. And he tumbled on that field. And I told my wife, my goodness, he won't recover from that. So I went downstairs. I met him. Next day, he had orthoscopic surgery. And he never got that speed back. Uh, And they cut him, you know. So after they cut him, he came back to Mississippi. And he opened a gym in Gluckstadt. All right, so one day... Uh, his, his specialty is uh, training young athletes to run faster so they can qualify for college, middle scholarship, and maybe go to the pros, all right? So he runs a, a gym called D1. It's called Division One. So one day he was training one of the young men. It wasn't in his gym. It was in a private gym. And Mike was a member. It was after 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. And there were only three people in the gym. And I'm going to connect this with your question. Okay. There were three people in the gym. It was my son. Okay. It was the, the athlete he was training. Mm-hmm. There was an off-duty white resident police officer. Okay. He was in uh, street clothes. You know, he was, he was working out. Right. And so my son likes to curse. <laughs> right. What he is trying to emphasize people to lift more weight. Mm-hmm. So he was using a couple of choice curse words. Right. Like lift more weight, doggone it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so the policeman, we didn't know it was a policeman. He came and told my son, you need to quit cursing in here. Okay, now he had on gym clothes. Right, 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 right. Come on, man. He said, I'm a member of this gym just like you. If I want to curse. It's, it's eight but three people in here. I want to curse. So he turned and he started, he cursed more. <laughs> so the policeman said, I'm a regional policeman. Mm-hmm. And I guess Mike didn't believe him. And and then the guy said, I'm going to have you arrested if you keep, keep cursing. And my son said, well, hell, do it then. Mm-hmm. And within 15 minutes, there were three police cruisers. Three of them. Three. Came into that jail. They put my son in handcuffs, my son, 
This is 2012. Mm -hmm. Put him in a police cruiser, booked him, took him to jail overnight. Mm -hmm. An NFL athlete, a member of that gym, after nine o'clock, mm -hmm. he's not in uniform. He doesn't have a badge. Mm -hmm. There's no law being violated. Mm -hmm. The son of a congressman, the son of a cabinet secretary. Mm -hmm. When he saw SB, you got to know something. Ain't that right. Yeah, got to. So what I want to say is it doesn't matter who his father was, who his father did. Doesn't matter about NFL. Doesn't matter. That policeman had inherent bias. Mm -hmm. He saw an African-American man doing something he didn't like. He didn't like, all right. He arrested him and took him to jail, okay? Now, I'm thankful my son didn't get shot. Mm -hmm. I'm so thankful my son is still alive. But I can certainly connect with George Floyd. I can certainly connect with Mr. Blake. I can certainly connect with Brianna. Right. All of those recently who were at the wrong end of policemen who had inherent bias. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole lot of things we can do. So I want to do the three T's, better police tactics, better police training, and more transparency. Okay, let's start with transparency. Uh, if a policeman has complaints against him or her, particularly if those complaints involve a racial situation or evolved in a racial context, particularly where that policeman was penalized, there's a report on file. And we have to know that. Okay. When that policeman is hired from another jurisdiction, mm -hmm. we have to know where is your file? Yes, sir. Where is your file? How many times have you been written up? And that file must go to a central depository in Washington. So just hit that computer and we'll see if you have arrest this, arrest him or her. If it's a racial context, he or her may not get a job. Mm -hmm. Secondly, you got to have more African-Americans or more women, men and women of color because they understand the context of law enforcement. Uh, my wife's brother is a, a policeman in Louisiana. I uh, already know there'd be no way in hell, even if someone counterfeited $20, or even if someone had a domestic altercation with their loved one or their significant other, he would never put his knee on their neck. I know he wouldn't. So we need more men and women of color. So, so, and then training. We need uh, training in de-escalation. So if there's a domestic dispute, like what I've read about Mr. Blake, there is no way that that ought to escalate into him being shot seven times in the back. There is no way. There's no way if you if you sell uh, counterfeit cigarettes that you ought to be choked to death. Mm -hmm. There's no way if you're in a domestic altercation that you ought to be. There's no way. So we need to train the policeman in how to solve uh, hostile situations without the use of their guns, okay? Yes, sir. 
So that good goes into training, bias training, and de-escalation training. And then lastly, tactics. I believe in banning the chokeholds. That ought to be banned. Uh, I believe in banning no-knock warrants. I mean, we have we have advanced so far now in technology that there's no way that a policeman would should ever go to a house and not know who's inside. Right. Yes, sir. You ought to tell them they went to the wrong house. They went to the wrong house. And they shot that house and she got hit by a street bully and killed. So when I go to the supermarket, if I want to get a certain brand of water, and on the way back out, I get a message on my cell phone saying, here's all the waters that you could have bought. We know who's in that house. Mm -hmm. So I believe in, I think that no-knock warrants ought to be outlawed. I believe chokeholds should be outlawed. And so there's a lot of things. So I believe in, and I believe that every policeman should have on a camera that's that's put on 24-7. Yeah. On yeah. that body. There is no way any police force in America should be so poor that they cannot have cameras. We have enough money in our federal budget to equip every policeman with cameras. Right. So more cameras turned on 24-7. Better tactics, more transparency, and uh, better training. That is my recipe for getting rid of all this foolishness. Yes, sir. I'm with that 100%, Mr. Esprit. How can uh, my audience uh, follow you? How can they contribute to the campaign? How all they have to do is go to sp4senate.com. And the SP is easy because all they have to say is SP, SP Awards. Everybody knows it's a SP Wars now, right? Okay. right? So it's the same, spelled the same way SP Wars. In fact, I gave the first SP Ward. I did. I was Secretary what? of Agriculture. I did. I did. In, in my office, I was Secretary of Agriculture. Uh -huh. in, in the uh, ESPN sent a camera crew to my office. I gave the first award, SP. Mike SP wow. gave the first SP Ward. I did. This guy. So, <laughs> So, um, so um, all they have to do is go to uh, SP for Senate, if, you know, F-O-R-S-N-A-T-E, and click on, and you'll see a big red link. And it says donate. And you don't have to donate. Uh, you know, I want as much as possible, of course. But you can give a dollar. If I get a dollar from 2,000 people, I have $2,000. That's right. So, so uh, you know. I was on MSNBC the other day mm -hmm. and I said something about go to SP for Senate. And in 40 minutes after I left this segment, we got $50,000 for people who were given $5. Wow. $10, $1, $50,000. So this thing multiplies so fast. So, um, uh, I'm on the ballot with Benny Thompson. I'm on the ballot with Patrice Westbrook. I'm on the ballot with Joe Biden. I'm on the ballot with uh, with uh, um, Harris. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and so I'm asking the folks to go and vote for all of us because we all have to go in support all the Democrats in Mississippi. Absolutely, so give me money. 
the gate. I need the money now <laughs> to get on the air. Yes, sir. That's right. Yep. I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure my audience follows, supports, and votes. You got my vote. Anything that my platform can do for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. And once again, I thank you for the opportunity to sit down with a legend, even with the gray hair. That's right. There you go. Thank you so much, Mr. Thank you so much. Have a great day. And uh, let's go vote, okay? Yes, sir. We got you. All right. Take care. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.